We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After multiple seasons of precise, structured football under Mikel Arteta, Arsenal have decided to vibes their way to the Champions League. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman's Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, look, there's a time, a time for that disciplined, well-coordinated, structured football where you follow a plan carefully. And sometimes you just need to vibes it, baby. And we are vibesing our way past Chelsea and vibesing our way past Manchester United. And I am absolutely here for it led by chaos agent number one, Nuno Tavares, who as soon as he discovers edibles and calms down a little bit is going to be unstoppable, but we can certainly get on to him later. We're going to have a fun time luxuriating in another important victory, and I will tell you, it has been a good week to be Arsenal, to be an Arsenal supporter, player, uh, some great scenes after the game, Bergkamp there, Henri there, in fact, photographed next to uh, Smith Rowe and Bukayo Saka and the uh, banner made by the Ashburton Army guys who've done a great job trying to add some some ambiance, some atmosphere at the Emirates and at the away days. And if you'd like to support them, by the way, with a new bigger banner, a professionally printed banner for next season, you can go to Ashburton Army on Twitter and look for their GoFundMe page. You can help them there. Uh, I do want to say this. One way that people find podcasts is when their podcast player recommends a pod to them. And the way they do that is based on pods that are getting reviewed. So we're going to do a two-week drive to, to get, get some reviews. Obviously, leave the most honest review you can. My recommendation is you do the five stars, you compliment Clive and Tim and Paul and Scott, and you make the caveat about having to tolerate me. And that does seem to be, uh, to be fair, what most of the reviews say about this podcast. But if you go leave a review, just screenshot it. Keep that screenshot because we'll pick a couple winners at random uh, two weeks from now. And uh, if I, I read out your review or, or your name, it'll be randomly picked. Just uh, email over the screenshot, and we will give away a couple of free one-year subscriptions to Patreon. So free one-year subscriptions to Patreon. Look, I, I know it's a pan. I listen to a lot of pods. I never review them. It's right there in your player. Just look down where you are right now. Tap the stars that you think make sense. If you want to write something, that helps. If not, it's still no big deal. It'll count. Just screenshot it. So if we uh, read your name out. Uh, you'll be able to send the screenshot and we can we can give you that free year of Patreon subscriptions. There you go. Let's get into the United game. Let's get into the, the day that was all about vibes as our season continues to be about vibes. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pencil. Pause. Woo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive, you have to see Clive. 
Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Clive, it is all about vibes right now. And like, it, it is such a, a weird thing because I think we, we got to know an arsenal that had structure and defensive solidity and maybe didn't create the chances you'd like, but, but kept it tight and could nick games. And then, you know, we went to that 4-3-3 and we had a few months where we were good at both ends. And now it's just chaos. It's just, it's just absolute chaos. And Arsenal take a lead early and then try to let Alanga uh, equalize, play him right in, clean through, nobody to stop him. Ramsdale gives it to McTominay uh, and, and actually Gabriel with a beautiful block to keep Bruno out. Um, you know, we get a second and then we let them right back in it with Ronaldo goal. We try to give away a couple of penalties. It's just, it's just chaos. And I'm wondering how you think about this transition from a team that... You know, I'd want to say it was rigid. It wasn't rigid, but had a real structure to it that seemed to have found a way to maximize the attacking opportunities without giving too much away defensively has turned into a team that is just, you know, like I said, just got vibes this way to the Champions League with a lot of attacking fun and a lot of defensive question marks. <laughs> yeah, I think I think some of the chaos factor is how we're feeling rather than what's actually happening. I think there are some chaotic things happening because some of the more unstructured players are having the primary moments and so there's the memories that we're walking away with. I uh, also that's say, a euphemism, by the way. <laughs> the way you just said <laughs> I could say that same thing, I just might say it differently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> some of the less structured players are having the important <laughs> moments. Yeah, I think I have a different way of saying that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm always I'm always polite as you well know, yeah. trying to be. So 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 yeah, I, I was saying to you just now, I I never bought we were that rigid. I, I bought that we were trying to implement something, some fundamentals, and I didn't. I never thought we were being overly micromanaged. I thought we were being coached. That's how I saw it. And we look coached. We look like we know what we're doing. We have our zones in the pitch that we look after. We have our roles and responsibilities. So of course, we look structured because we, especially us a lot, we re- re- watch, rewatch, study it, look at everything, <laughs> and it looks structured to us. Right? So, um, so other people, you know, who maybe not so weird, it just looks like football, right? So, um, so I never, I never overindexed that in my mind. But what's happening now is, I think a lot of it is is emotion. Really, we got players that are for the first time doing something major in their football careers. We basically have an under twenty three team, and there's hardly anybody there at this level of experience across in the crossing line, apart from our finishing line. Sorry, apart from our two centre mids, right? So um, there's nobody else, right? So, and and basically, we have some young men working it out right in front of us one good thing one bad thing literally that is what it is and so fans we we are desperate we are desperately trying to get to the promised land and we are desperately trying not to rush the conclusions but absolutely are because we look at the very last thing that happened the last event and and it's and it's very traumatic right it's very traumatic in two way i was at the game on saturday i was sort of messaging andrew through the game and the messages that we were sharing, oh my goodness, I don't think we should print them for um, <laughs> for public viewing because <laughs> they were full of nerves and, oh my God, he's got to get him off, he's got to get him off, oh my God, what's happening now? Like, it was, none of it was was smooth, <laughs> like we tried to talk about. I think Mikel was going through the same thing on the touchline, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like, and that's, and that's what everyone's going through, so of course it feels chaotic, it feels that way, right? So, um but I'm 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 here for it. Well, after a three-one victory against Manchester United in the sunshine on a Saturday at home, I like it. I like the fact that we're overcoming the. We seem to be overcoming the, the one thing I've been really concerned about, 
which is our ability to deliver under pressure. We've had mm. that weakness for years, and that and we we did something decent on Saturday, and I'm I'm here for that. Yeah, I have to say, like, there's in a way, like the entire Nuno Tavares experience is summed up in the first goal because he's Johnny on the spot, the the most advanced player to to I think quite quite. Um, effectively, well, effectively, he scored a goal, obviously, effectively, but I think, you know, a nice, clean contact in the final moment to score the opening goal, Paul. Um, and like, then he does a knee slide that is a complete fail and then throws up a, a cannon gang sign. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like an arsenal. And it's, I love it. I, did you notice he makes like a little cannon with his fingers? I didn't know what um, it was. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. Yes. I saw someone describe it as a cannon gang sign on Twitter. I thought that was awesome. Like, I just loved it. Uh, but like, he's, he's just got so much about him. Um, maybe, maybe more than he know, even knows how to contain. He contains multitudes. And like that opening move, I, it's so much of what this game kind of turned into in a way because Saka gets free. But, like, the ball finds its way to him because two United defenders just completely fail to deal with it at all. He gets off a beautiful shot that he's unlucky not to score with as well, saved by De Gea. And there's Nuno, of all people, to smash it in. It's an early lead. He tries the knee slide. He fl- flips over and throws up the, the cannon sign. But, like, it, that that little moment summarized so much. And I'm I'm curious, like, when you look at not just Nuno Tavares, but the, the way this game started to play out, it really felt like there was an opportunity for us here to bury them, I thought, because they didn't have Maguire, who I think is terrible, and, and, I, and I'll level with everyone. When I saw he wasn't in the starting lineup, I kind of thought that was bad for us. Turned out, I think the defending was even worse without him. Go figure. But, you know, early on, it certainly looked like United were vulnerable and like we had the ability to t- take it to them, but without ever really shutting the back door. Yeah. So uh, I think this is, I think you got to take a step back and look at this. And I think it'll be easier to do, uh, you know, kind of over the summer or in a few weeks' time. Clive's exactly right in terms of, of why this game was the way it was. But I think there's a couple of other factors. If you take a step back, and Arteta, it's not like this isn't post-match analysis. This is pre-match analysis. Arteta has been talking about his concerns about the Chelsea game. You know, we're we're off a run of three bad games. This is a really young team. We've bottled it. We're out of it. He's concerned going into the Chelsea game, especially with their ability to strangle possession, that we lack energy, that we lack creativity. So he embraces the chaos. And uh, no team... It gets more of their goals from the early parts of a game than Arsenal, and he's leaned into that. And we come to this United game, and yes, they're vulnerable and we should beat them, but it's almost like a trap game, right? The We, we have three games in a row, and Arteta talked about this particular um, <clears throat> section where we're going to go through where um, you know the scheduling was unfair, and uh, harmful to Arsenal's prospects because we were going to be shagged. We were already uh, kind of demoralized, low confidence. We have the Chelsea game. So much emotional energy and physical energy went into that game. This was the game we were going to get found out. We might start okay, but but you know we we'd start we'd hit bad form. We'd start uh, we'd lose our energy. We'd lose our focus. And I think he knew that, and that's why this game was the way it was. We went full bore from the get go. I mean, Nuno's goal is only the second time <clears throat> that was after three minutes. It was only the second time he was that far up the pitch right from the get go. So 
uh, Arteta was clear what the concern was here, that we'd <clears throat> underwhelm, underperform, not have the energy, not come with the, the – so we embraced the chaos and we went, went at it full bore. And yes, uh, that meant we were a little overextended, uh, especially with Ronaldo going full Harry Kane, dropping into midfield and uh, pinging balls up to Alanga. We were caught going the other way, but that was a risk Arteta was fully prepared to take. Um, he wanted high energy, full commitment, uh, go at them, get the early goal. In fact, in our case, two goals, and mm. he was willing to take it. And I think it also uh, explains why this game, probably ab- above all others, we saw Arteta going nuts on the sideline, but he wasn't going nuts. He was energizing, energizing the crowd. Nuts. He went a little, a little, the it, stuff around the penalty, like, no, uh, I, I agree, I agree, no, no, no. I agree, Paul, there. I think he, he was, was looking for help. He yeah, was looking, he, he knew after Chelsea, we were lagging and he needed yeah. the crowd to he needed the crowd, lift, he needed the lift team. him over the line. Over the line. Uh, and you, and you hit it, uh, Clive, in terms of the senior players, right? We have two senior midfielders and who else do we have? We have Arteta. That's the other senior player. He's the guy, those are the guys who know how to manage these games. None of these kids have ever been at this point in a top four t- uh, level team, going for top four, playing Chelsea as peers, not as Brighton or, you know, not coming from some foreign league or not uh, not a kid who's seen it in the academies. Like, they're going to be under overwhelmed at this point in the season cowed by the fact that it's it doesn't matter that united is not in a good run of form that's cristiano bloody ronaldo in the middle of he was the best player on the pitch to be fair he was brilliant and like so smooth yeah uh, uh, well he was the second best player on the pitch but i take your point Mm. um like these kids want his autograph so there's a real risk that we play united tar jaded mostly emotionally jaded we're too respectful uh, we don't believe uh, that it's there for us. And I think Arteta did this brilliantly. I don't think at any point he was nuts. I think he knew exactly what he was going to do. And uh, how often we're going to talk about the incidents, and there's shitloads of them VAR, penalty. I took notes during this game. Red and card. Like, I just gave up at some point because I was like, I'm not, I can't get through them all. <laughs> like yeah. in one half alone, it's like 15 lines of notes. Three goals in 25 minutes. If I'd given you the scenario without the how it all broke out, you would have said, oh, Arsenal's going to get fucked, right? <laughs> well, But I they mean, didn't, and why didn't they? Who was the bigger presence on the sideline? Who was – like the crowd got on it, on it and in it. It was very hard for the refs. It would have been, would have been quite interesting if the ref hadn't uh, – made the calls he had. Mm. Like, there was a lot of pressure. And I think Arteta did an exceptional job of managing the emotions of our team, of the environment, uh, coaching the team, coaching the energy, and leaning into it and saying, look, if we play a control game, we probably just won't generate what we need to get a result here. Yeah, so I say fair, fair no- fucks to him. Yeah, fair enough. I, I I will say this, right? I don't have any ability to know what the right way for a coach to be on a touchline is, and we won, so you get to say it's the right way, and I think that's perfectly fine. Like, I, and I, I think say it some, not because I'm sure it's right, but I've heard a lot of oh, you know, uh, kind of hand wringing about it. Fuck that shit. 
Yeah, like, I, look, I don't. I don't look. Let, let's do these this. are let's, kids. They should have bottled this game, and they didn't. Yeah, look, I confess that. I think it's probably a thing that people talk about more than it matters, and and so I don't want to go down that path. I the, the part I was referring to specifically was like, I don't know exactly what he was trying to say when the penalty was being checked on the screen. He was waving it away, like saying, "No, it's not a penalty." So I, I was well, sort of confused about that. The, but, like he was he yeah. was setting the tone. He was telling the ref, "You're going to look at this monitor, but it's bullshit. Give us our goal. We just put the ball yeah. in the back of the net." Yeah. And and I know you don't want to go there and you you want to say it's not very important. I think it was vitally important, but but I'm done now. Yeah, and it's like I said, I I, having not played uh, for Arsenal at the Emirates in a big game uh, recently, I can't say Well, that's the difference between us. Is that you have, yeah, exactly. Um, You know, and and it is true. Look, I think you got to give Arteta credit for this. There is a chance that we get into the Champions League. I, I don't think, you know, it's not assured, but there's a chance. And we've played ourselves back into a really good position, thanks to Spurs, starting to get a bit Spursy, which they do. And there's a chance we're going to be looking back on this a few seasons saying, remember that time Mikel Arteta guided us to a top four finish using Enkedia up front, Cedric and Nuno at, at fullbacks, Mohamed Elneny, you know, in the midfield. And like, not to slam any of those guys, but on paper, I don't think you'd look at the teams we're putting out right now as the fourth best team in the Premier League. And we've righted the ship and we're getting it done. And we're getting there, granted, on a bit of a a strange ride, but getting there nonetheless. But Clive, in order to get there, you need some players that do step up under the pressure, do give you that calm. And I think as the game we're on, we're going to talk El Nini and Shaka. But early on, I thought it was Saka and Odegaard. I thought that, Mm. you know, Clive, like Odegaard was laying on dimes, just dropping dimes. I realize that United defense isn't stalwart, but like that... That little impudent flick he gives to Nketiah, who goes for power instead of placement, like that is sensational. And Saka, every time he got the ball, we felt confident that he could beat a man, that he could get in a good position. He obviously creates the first goal. He wins the second goal with the penalty and then has the composure to step up and take it. Even though I don't think you'd say he's the best penalty taker, he showed the most character. Those two really stood out for me. And I think Saka is is becoming a like a full-fledged leader of men at 20 years old right before our eyes, you know? Uh, I absolutely agree. I think one of the things when you buy a bunch of young players, and a lot of them have got um, leadership experience at some level, um, when they mature together, they develop into a group of leaders. And, of course, when we lose a game, right, we lose a couple of games, the first thing we do as fans is we say, well, the manager's got to go. We need a new owner. Oh, he's got to go. Um, said said player gets criticised. He's got to go. And that was another common thing we say is we got no leaders. <laughs> we got no leaders. And I always go like that because you know it results are everything, right? But what we are seeing very clearly with those two players in particular is that they want to lead this team somewhere. They are not prepared to watch this opportunity slip by without giving everything they've got. And, um, and you can see that in, in their plays. He doesn't even mean to say anything. Right? You, as soon as we have a dead patch in the game, Odegaard goes pressing, bang, off he goes. And everyone follows him. Saka's always available. He always gets first part of the game, gets born, touchline, amazing touch, bounces it to himself, fires inside, foul. They're on the back foot straight away. Within, within one minute, he's saying, I'm here, you've got a problem. You know, I just love that about him. He's just, we're just very fortunate with these young players at the moment. And, we do need some stability rods in the team, which I'm sure we're going to get to later. Mm-hmm. And um, But on the nice side, on the positive side, the ball goes into these two guys' feet 
and I'm sitting there with a big TV screen wondering what they're going to do next. I'm not sure because it's so inventive and so creative. The other guard flick through to Nketi. I mean, what's what's happening there? The other guard flick at Watford. Remember that back heel flick mm-hmm. back to Saka? What, where's that come from? You know what I mean? And the things that he's doing, there was one, I know Paul's got his in his memory bank, but I saw saw this later. There was one chip pass through to Nketi, a straight pass, which I think if it, he, he was millimetres off, not clearing the defender's head. If that gets through and Nketiah scores, we are talking about pass of the century. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Now, the big thing, and this is probably leading to the chaos thing that you spoke to earlier, is that people feel comfortable to try this stuff. And that is down to all of us supporting them, everybody within the coaching staff allowing them to that freedom of creativity, not be afraid to give the ball away. You might give it away once, but keep pushing forward because we need you to push forward. Don't sit back. Don't go into your shell. Keep playing in the right areas. Keep being brave to receive the ball. And that is coaching and development. Some of that's personal. Some of that is being fed into them as they're being developed and cooked for the future. And so I can only go and get the headlines. Um, but this is happening all over the pitch. I can give you many more examples where people are doing things outside of their comfort zone. You're going to get to El Nenny. But I was going to mention one thing. I mean, Paul talked about this on- online the other day. El Nenny w- Sort of, it's almost fighting his negative instincts to know, no, I'm not going back. I'm going to run through. I mean, you can see this. You telling me that's not been instructed because he's not a new player. Do you know what I mean? And we've watched him for six years. So, this is the culture, this is the environment, this is what's been instructed. Trust yourself, go forward, keep the ball moving, flow through the thirds, and do your stuff right. And, um, of course, the two. The two guys that you mentioned earlier are headline headline actors in that play. Yeah, and I, I mean it was it was a game in two parts in some ways, and part one was about them, and part two I think was about the midfielders. But like, Bukayo Saka is twenty. He played for England in the Euros during the summer and literally kicked the last ball in the Euros, and it was a heartbreaking moment for him. He has the second, third most minutes of any outfield player for Arsenal this season behind only the center backs, but he's played in every single Arsenal game, the only player to do that. And there he is stepping up to take penalties at the, you know, very, very crucial end of the season against major opposition to win games against Chelsea and Manchester United. And to have the character and the confidence to do that combined with a hell of a lot of quality also, and to not be so emotionally and physically fatigued at this stage of the season that he can't, get through these games and can't step up and do that. It really is an incredible thing. There are not a lot of 20 year olds in the world doing the kind of stuff he's doing for Arsenal right now. And, you know, can maybe I, there have been can a I few. Add something on that topic? Uh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we're talking about Saka and, and uh, uh, Odegaard, right? Um, they're creating, like, if you look at key passes or et cetera. Odegaard has the most chances created in the Premier League this season. Yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> when you look at key passes, Saka's right with them, uh, mm-hmm. just behind them. And, like, that's all in the same area of our pitch, right? Not only are they both generating uh, big numbers, they're generating them from exactly the same corner playing off each other. Like, it's all coming from that area. They're like, a, I think Martinelli is, like, the next uh, in terms of key passes, etc., and he's on the far side, Smith Rowe, like, but they're not at these levels. It's a, like those two are not just producing it from there; they're doing it off each other. It's kind of a this emergent property of this synergy that they're they're not 
it's not like they're sharing it. Like they're both double producing from that area. There's a phenomenal amount of create creativity coming from that side, which allows for over or uh, the chance to kind of attack from the other side when you switch. So that it's like just phenomenal what those two create between each other, not just in the same area. Yeah. Just, yeah, well said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, one, just one last thing, right? So I always look for cause and effect. So there wasn't so long ago we were talking about Crystal Palace cutting off the the lines to party and then that cut the line to Odegaard. And it wasn't so long ago that we were looking at a, a Brighton game where they didn't even bother marking our centre forward. They just doubled up in wide areas and killed our talent out wide. What's changed the last two games? We have a centre forward that's active, that runs, that runs off shoulders, that runs channels, that presses the game. And suddenly centre-backs can't triple up on our wide right pod. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They can't triple up. We've got Nuno on the other side stretching the play. So now they've got a decision to make because he's not slow. They got Smith Rowe in the pocket, sitting there, thinking, "Okay, you're gonna you're gonna leave me alone." So suddenly, he's having the he's having the active bodies that could threaten you has allowed them a little bit more freedom, just one player less to deal with, and then they are delivering, and that's what we've now got again. And I, and I love the evolution of tactics and how a game plays out. You know, I think it's wonderful, and I think we're seeing a byproduct of good team selection by the manager. Yeah. So then. You know, we get those opening goals, but I just want to read out to you some of my notes between the early Tavares goal and the penalty. Alanga's in, poor defending Ramsdale save. Ramsdale, huge error, gives it to McTominay. Bruno misses great Gabriel block. Alanga is in, Tavares runs with him, Ramsdale save. United hits the bar, Dallow. Huge and Ketty, a miss, and then the, the... Oh, and Cedric, handball not called. So, like... It just seems like when we've been scoring these last couple of games, then there are these periods where it all just goes to pieces a bit. And I do think that these players know what's at stake and having something to lose (laughs) is really stressful. I want to go through a couple of these incidents with you though, Paul, like one of them real quick, and maybe this can be a bridge to discuss the issue generally, the Cedric handball. I am of the opinion that it is a handball and it should have been called. I'm not sure that it's a penalty though, because of where it happens. But like, there were so many, so, so many borderline calls. I mean, Nuno Tavares could have given away three penalties in this game. So he's got the arm around the shoulder. I don't think that's one. The arm around the leg, I think that's probably not one. He has the handball, which is one. There's the Cedric handball not called. Obviously, we get the VAR call for the goal where it's offside, but then we wind up getting the penalty. I mean, then there's, of course, uh, uh, Bruno Fernandes should have been sent off for a terribly unprofessional foul on Tavares. He's missed the penalty. United are losing and he takes out his frustration on a fellow professional on his standing leg. Could have been a leg breaker, so that's terrible. But just a lot of incidents in this game and we saw it against Chelsea and we saw it again in this one. Maybe, just maybe, the comments, the dis- talking to PGMOL, talking to you know the, the press about, the media about the treatment we're getting from VAR, like these, these decisions are starting to go our way. So do you have any any that you disagree with or you thought we got lucky? I mean, the Cedric handball one was the first of them, but there were quite a few. Look, I think we got lots of luck in the calls, but I also think when you were the the team pushing it, the proactive team, the team that takes the initiative. Dare I say the protagonist? <laughs> the protagonist, the team with the energy, the, the crowd G'd up 
I mean, they would have been G'd up anyway, but like Arteta was getting them going. The the manager with the presence on the sideline, like there was a lot of momentum there. And like we somehow against United unbelievably got like the lion's share of the call calls in our direction. I love it. But like uh, Arsenal have been the good guys, the Boy Scouts for way too long not getting these kinds of calls. And this is what maybe a little more ambition, a little more playing the power game, working the sidelines. Like that is an air, Klopp, uh, Guardiola, Conte. They all work the sidelines. They all work the referees. They all G up the crowds. And I think we're still, still a bit sniffy about this. You know, does it really help? Does it, of course it bloody helps. So like, this this game could have gone a different way, but I even think that's a little harsh in terms of looking at these decisions because it's very out. Like we had the goal, we had the initiative, we got the second goal. We're two goals up. It does tend to determine how you play your game. We were tired. We were kind of managing between incidents. Um, this was always going to be a tricky game, always a sticky game. The, uh, probably the, the real issue was, would we generate enough on our side or would we kind of hit that flat spot? You see them in every season. You say, Jesus, we were so flat against United after that good performance against Chelsea. How did that happen? Well, you know, we're you know, coming off the emotional fall off from the previous game, but we didn't let that happen. And I think that's a big reason of why we got a lot of these calls that could have gone either way. The Cedric one is an interesting one in that they generally don't give that. Now, when you microscope, uh, microscopically look at it uh, in slow-mo uh, and you see Cedric kind of had a little look and maybe had a little flick, but they never give that call, so I don't really have an issue with that one. Um, yeah, yeah, th- they did look. Apparently, they looked at. So the reason I'm confused, right, is if it's outside the box and not a penalty, then I don't think VAR can change it. They can only uh, change it if the re- it's inside. The, the ref box. commentator guy uh, said it's actually in the box because the hand where the ball is, like touching the line, is in the box. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be in the. So got it. Yep, that was his his verdict. So it's his, a penalty review there. Yeah. It's a penalty review, but if you're stopping yourself falling, and he kind of was, okay, as I, I said, he turned into a millipede at one point and was scurrying <laughs> along. You know, you, you, you just need to put your arm down once, not three times to save yourself from falling. But hey, <laughs> this is <laughs> not how they make those calls. Then on the other hand, the Nuno one, I mean, they get a penalty for that, right? But like, it's, it's stupidity. It's not, it's not like they earned a penalty there. So I'll throw that one away. Like, good luck to them. They got a penalty. Fair enough. I'm not arguing whether it was a penalty, but it's not one. I'm glad they, they did though, because otherwise we would not have been treated to that hilarious fact that not only did Bruno Fernandez take a penalty <laughs> instead of Ronaldo, but then he did the ridiculous run up and then he hits the post. Like, I'm, I'd much rather that happen than that didn't happen. <laughs> That's life. Light in your loafers, kind of skip before you. Yeah, it's like. Uh, I think those guys are getting rumbled. Uh, Fabianski did a great job against uh, Jorginho uh, same weekend. And the sooner they get rid of that rubbish, the better. But uh, Br- Bruno's doing yeah. his, his, his bit to do it. So, like, there's a lot of incidents. Those are two that kind of hit me in the face. Well, and look, because if you contrast this to the, the Merseyside Derby the next day, like, that was an example of a referee who 
could not control a game, did not rise to the occasion, didn't have his hands around it at all. And I thought Atwell was just a mess in that game. Yeah. And like this game didn't feel like the referees didn't have the control of it. It's just that the borderline stuff went our way. Like I've always said, I don't think egregious stuff just goes against us, although this season at times it's felt that way. But I've said we never get the close ones. We never get the 50-50s. And we, we've gotten them. And like this is the point. You can say, oh, we're, we're sort of lucky to have beaten United or Chelsea. I don't agree. But then you have to say there's a lot of games we're unlucky not to beat other people. And the City game comes to mind. And, you know, Southampton certainly does. And the goal that was disallowed against Brighton that would have equalized. So if I had to choose, I'd definitely choose those results going that way and these results going this way because coming off a run of beating Chelsea and United in a week, what a lift that is. But Clive, if this game was in jeopardy, it was in jeopardy, I think, because the fullbacks were having a weird day. First of all, Poor Cedric. I mean, he had a good run in the team where he stepped up and gave us something when Tomiyasu was out. But that, as as a famous singer once said, but it's over now. Um, I mean, Sancho was just absolutely eating his lunch and he couldn't live with him. And it was no surprise that a delivery was going to come from that side of the pitch for their goal. And then on the other side, I mean, I I did have some Abue flashbacks with Nuno Tavares in the second half of the day Abue was subbed off as a sub. And it's always interesting as a manager, right? Because if you don't sub him off and it goes against him and you lose the game, people will say, you had to protect him there. You had to do something to protect him. But if you do sub him off, you can also say, oh, you know, you're killing his confidence. You got to let him play through it. He let him play through it and we got the win. So that's great. But I'm curious how you look at the the fullback performances because, I, you know, I, I do think that something looked like it was going to give on either wing at either uh, at any moment. Yeah, so a lot of teams are doing this thing where they have one fullback in and one fullback disappearing up the street. Mm-hmm. And we did that for a while, didn't we, with Tierney? And obviously when Tommy Asu came in, we all liked it. Uh, no dramas there, we all liked it. Then Nuno came in, nothing skipped a beat, right? And then um, when you have Cedric and Nuno together, now you... <laughs> Now you've got <laughs> now you got problems, right? So Gabriel certainly looks like he doesn't like it. Yeah, so now you've got problems because the the natural instinct of both fullbacks is to disappear. Whether you've got secure possession or not, they want to go. They want to go. So how is he counteracted that? He's counteracted by playing two sixes in midfield all of a sudden. He's thinking, I can't control these two. I need to, I need to bring in Mohamed Elneny, right? Because he will go in, he'll fall in. When the centre-backs get pushed out wide, he drops in the middle and Shaka drops in the middle as well into left-back. So you've got two players that can sense danger and they drop in and feel for the fact that our full-backs, their selection when they go is a little bit inconsistent. And so what do we have? So, you know, the, the bigger problem for me is the problem at, at right fullback. And the only reason is he's not a child. He's he's one of our senior players, <laughs> has been around a while, and he's getting he's getting beaten in one-on-ones consistently, right? So, and that is standard fullback play. So if you're getting beaten, you're now causing stress in your centre mid and your centre backs. That creates gaps, right? So that creates gaps when people are running through and they're scoring. So that's the bigger problem for me. Um the left fullback now, he has major strengths and major weaknesses. His strengths are, you can't miss them, right? They are spectacular strengths. The next thing he does, looks like everything he does has, has got like a, a factor of 10 by it. So when he chops inside onto his right foot and takes a shot and it goes into you know, it goes down Blackstock Road, then basically that's a problem. That's a problem. But the fact he's got that ability to chop inside and he's got two feet, you know what? Something to work on there. Something to work on. The fact he scored a goal, had shots, had crosses, 
set up a goal in midweek ready. There's something to work on there. So who do I invest in? Well, I know. I, I think I invest in that guy, right? He costs 7 million quid. Well, he costs 7 million quid. People don't, you don't buy full bank 7 million pound if they're, if they're the finished article. Do you know what I mean? He's somebody we have to work on. You know my views about him playing a few more minutes early in the season. I wish we'd have rested Tin a bit more because he'd still be playing now. We have to learn to rotate and trust a bit more, but you know my thoughts there. You know, the joy of this team is on the bench, always has been. We have to just incorporate them sooner. And so the issue with Nuno is, and everyone's trying to work this out, and I have a little think about it myself. The issue with him is, obviously, closer to his goal, he can do things that are unpredictable. And this will be my coaching message to him. You have to rest better. By that, when you're standing still and the game goes dead and it's not near you, what are you thinking about? Because you have to be, you have to rest alive. He's resting really closed down. He's not resting with any sort of awareness on. So the psychology, when the ball comes into him, he can't switch it on quickly enough and people are running around him and he's reacting to things. He has to rest better. Dead ball corners, he has to be switched on. So this stuff can be taught and coached. Now, when the game's flowing and the psychology to go from defence to attack, I've got nothing to say to him because it's outstanding. He can see the pass, he can see when to join in, and once he does join in, he's gone. He's absolutely gone, and everyone's got a problem. Now, he has to work out as he gets more experience. Don't run into cul-de-sacs because when to let go of it sometimes. If you're, if you're going 100 miles an hour, learn to slow down. Once you break one line, then maybe pop it off and get it back. That all comes with playing time, right? But that's something to work on. I find him one of the most interesting people in the squad because he's so raw, so imperfect, but his strengths are massive. Then I flip it around, and I look at players who are attacking fullbacks, who are you know backup fullbacks in the league. And I look at people like Matt Target. I look at people like Timmy Cass. I don't want them. Well, I, I don't want them. I look at these backup players in other... Do you want Tellez in your team, who's doing come dancing on the far post for the first goal? I don't want him. You know, and that's how you got to look at it. When you look at these players, look at their look at their equivalent backup players around the league and say, Do I want them in our team? All right. And so we've got Nuno, he's here, can we work with him? The big thing for me is coaching and trust. We trusted him, since we trusted him, Shackle's going to midfield, we found a new balance, and we've won games. Right? We've won games and we look more like an Arsenal team. I know it's scary. It's scary. I know sometimes I think he's a seventy minute player. He's going to wing back for the last 20 minutes. It's about concentration. A young player holding his concentration for 90. He's not ready for that yet. So we can help him by system changes, by protecting him, by putting Shaka around him, bringing Rob Holden to close games. We can do things that promote his primary skill set. But my coaching message to him would be rest better. When the game goes dead, don't you go dead. Stay alive because the ball's coming your way. Yeah, I thought he was unlucky with one finish. Like the... The one where he drops the shoulder in the box, sits down, the defender gets past him, and then blasts it. Like, just a little more composure. Like, that. that's actually really good play. And I know we make fun of him for his chaos, but, like, there's a very good attacking player in there. I think one of the things he does, though, that will drive Arteta nuts, Paul, is he loves to carry the ball inside, right? And he'll beat a man on the outside and bring it inside. And that can actually be devastatingly effective because then you can slip the through ball into the, you know, to the forward when the defender has to come out to you like there, there's a lot of you can create a lot of danger by doing that but you cannot lose the ball there because you leave 
you leave yourself so exposed, right? Because you've come inside, the forward's overlapping, and now your entire left flank is exposed. And he 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 does cut inside, and I think he can create a lot of danger doing that, but he loses the ball a lot when he does it, and that that is problematic. And then I think certainly in the defensive third, when he's got to make the critical decision, I think from a judgment standpoint, he still has a little bit of work to do. But what's your take on on that, especially maybe the idea that like, his his carries and his driving with the ball at his feet are really eye catching and and sometimes you know really effective, but they do take us out of structure and he does lose the ball a little too much and I think that's the thing that's going to really drive Mikel nuts. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still learning on that. As I understand it, a fullback like Robertson does this, and you see it uh, with with certain quality fullbacks. That angled run that Nuno has that brings you infield is particularly dangerous because you're effectively a, a free man in the most dangerous part of the pitch going into the final third. So it gives you all sorts of options. And as long as you, especially if we're playing with two pivots, we should be fine. That's a fine place for a fullback. If you think the City goal, uh, the goal we scored against City, the one Saka scores, Tierney comes up the wing, but he doesn't actually, he does the Nuno run. He actually comes at an angle uh, into that final third, uh, puts it across. We did kind of a similar goal from Smith Rowe from the other side against Chelsea, but um, Tierney comes in at an angle, uh, crosses it to where Saka is, and Saka kind of does the Smith Rowe finish into the net. It can be a very devastating run. I don't know if it's more dangerous. I guess I understood that actually it's not the worst place in the world to lose the ball. It is if everybody if the teams ahead of you, but if you have a little cover as you normally would with say Saka, uh, like that's what we've done with. I think it's maybe why Smith Rowe has been playing, and you know we moved Saka not or sorry Chaka not from covering the left fullback position, but as the left pivot uh, because Nuno is going to be up there. Um, that's. He's got more shots on target than anybody who isn't a forward. He's got more shots on target than Thomas Partey, which takes some doing. Uh, sorry, not on target. More shots than tar- uh, Partey. He's got more shots than Smith Rowe. Like, uh, as Clive said, he's switched on for the attacking part of it. He needs to learn to be switched on for the defensive side of it. But he's getting into those zones and getting us up the pitch. And Chaka and Smith Rowe are hopefully it's and seemingly intelligently covering those runs for him so i think it should be okay that the main worry with him is when he spins a pass without carefully considering uh the situation um in our third uh, across the field or as clive's pointed out his tendency to decide to run everything out of our box or that corner down there that's where we really get done because Everybody's ahead of him. I don't, uh, I'm much less worried about the ones where I really love, actually, his runs infield, upfield. I think those, I hope those would be well covered. Mm. Can I just add one more Please. thing, Elliot? Just one more thing. It's a tactical thing. and It may underpin some of the reasons why I, I sort of like these type of players, whether they're imperfect or not. A lot of tactics are all based around creating overloads, right? So when we're playing our diamond in centre mid, whether we're doing a two plus two in a box, we're trying to create an overload so we can progress the ball and control the game. Right? So everything you do is to create an overload. So reasons why I like 
what I call one-and-a-half job players. People that can do one-and-a-half jobs. If they can do two people jobs, one-and-a-half jobs, that means somebody else can be lazy somewhere else that we can create an overload we can get to them. If you've got somebody that's got amazing ability to transition the ball like a party or cut people out to create an overload somewhere else or transition the ball by carrying it like a Nuno who, who can actually attract people to him because he has such extraordinary ability to travel with the ball. I need two people on him. If he flips it out of the air once he's got double coverage like Saka does all the time, we've got an overload somewhere else. Do you see what I mean? So everything you do is to create overloads. If you've got people that can draw people in, you want to you want to invest in those people. If you've got people that are being ignored because they have no ability to move, you don't invest in those people. They're not going to give you the advice that you need tactically in any game. So just think that through for a second. I know he's raw. He's absolutely raw. I would invest in him because he can do things tactically. He can create things tactically. He can kill you. With mistakes, by the way, that's the risk that we take. And, and he almost did. Like, let, let's not sugarcoat this. I, I felt he probably needed to be taken off, and I wasn't alone. He wasn't it, alone. I, I was just getting there, right? He can kill you sorry, with mistakes. Yeah. You know, I can't explain. By the way, I'm not talking about. I can't explain the handball. That's not. That's not explainable, right? Does it, I mean, where's that come from? You know that. But I'm just trying to talk you through it a little bit more tactically. Why I would invest in that player a little bit more why he needs more time. Some people say he needs more loan time. I think there's something there to work on because he creates situations which tactically you're looking to do all of the time. Create one-on-ones, isolations, and you have to do something with him. Now, we, what we've done, we've played him on the elbow and pushed him into areas where he wants to be with less of a trauma for us. He doesn't get beat one-on-one like Cedric does too often. Alanga's very, very quick, by the way. He's like lightning. Yeah, so, he, he beat him in a foot racer just about. I mean, He yeah. is like lightning, seriously lightning. I thought he did well not to foul him on that, on that break, by the way, because he is really, really quick, right? So... And there weren't many as quick as him, if any, as quick as him. Right. Yeah, so, so there are there's loads to learn. But if you flip it around, there are loads to invest in, and and he brings things which forces other teams to look at him in the attacking sense, in defensive sense. We have work to do with him, and I'm sure they're working on it. And I want to say something about age too. You know, there are a lot of people that'll be like, well, he's two years older than Mikhail Saka. Why are we saying he's young but not Saka? You know, why was it? Because you have to look at a player in terms of their their football age. How many games has the guy played at the top level? Like 15? I tried to look it up, Elliot, but I'm not good in numbers like you. I literally tried to look it up <laughs> and I thought, I can't see <laughs> because yeah, he barely we played. played. We played Benfica in the Europa League and he didn't start for Benfica in either game. He came on as a sub, I think, in like the second game. So he like he wasn't a starter for Benfica. He wasn't the best Tavares on the team. There was another guy who was playing ahead of him. He wasn't even the best Tavares who played left back. There was a can Tavares. I, can I give you a stat? Yeah. Let me hit you with a stat. He has, over the last three seasons in his entire professional career, played fewer minutes than Bukayo Saka has played this season. Okay? He has 2,480 senior football minutes, period. 927 two years ago at Benfica, 633 last season at Benfica, and 920 this season for Arsenal. And now that those are league minutes, I should say. But, like, it's it's not a lot more if you go to all comps. Point is, this is a player who is basically finishing his first season as a professional footballer all told so i think it is fair to think of him as young and it is fair to think of him developing and i'm with clive that you invested him that they're saying there 
And none of that changes my opinion that he was right on the brink of it kind of going to pieces. What was oh, very was interesting was the manager didn't pull him. What he did do was he put Mar- He talked about protecting him, about changing the setup. But, but he brought on Martinelli, which helped. And then mm-hmm. we, I agree. we we did the what we have, we holding and brought on one more. And we kept it like from that standpoint, here's two games in a row where the manager has stayed with uh, Nuno. Uh, so he obviously sees progress in terms of, and, and I, I think when Arteta pulls him off the pitch or leaves him on is more about not whether he's having a great game, but whether he's at least following the system, even if he's struggling within it. And it says to me that Nuno's turned some kind of a corner that he's at least working the plan and may, uh, conversely, Arteta's thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to need this guy for the run-in, so let's keep working with him. Football's so cruel, too, because, I, guys, when you're struggling, you're, you're going through a rough patch in a game, the ball always finds you, doesn't it? Like, that period where he was struggling the second half, he just needed us to be on the ball a little bit for the ball to go down someone else's wing, to, and it just kept coming at him. And, I, you know, I, I felt for him in that way. Um, you know, look, Cedric got roasted, too, but no one really thinks Cedric is the future at Arsenal, so I think there's less hand-wringing about that. Tomiyasu coming back could be a great thing for Tavares. I think we can move off of that. I want to get to praising some good performances, two really important good performances. And, you know, I I think what makes this game so special is that it started great and then we gave it away a little bit and then it looked like it was really in doubt and it was going to be miserable. And then it ended, I think, with the best possible way. Bruno Fernandes looking like an absolute chump and Arsenal scoring from outside the box to make the point safe. But, but before we go any further... I think a lot of us, obviously, going through a lot of things right now, Arsenal-related, but it's also true that a lot of us are going through a lot of things just in our personal lives. And so I am proud to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, You know, if there's something interfering with your happiness, preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, and it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is a professional therapist, securely online. There's a broad range of expertises, and that's that's actually really important because, you know, I, I went to a therapist who did a lot of work for me, and a lot of, I would think it was very helpful. We did the work together, I think would be the right way to say that, and it, it was really important in my life, but there are people that are struggling with very specific issues, and in their area, there may not be someone who's well-trained for that. And BetterHelp has that range of expertise and the services available worldwide. So you can log into your account anytime, send messages to your therapist, get timely and thoughtful responses. You can do weekly phone sessions if you don't want to be on camera or video sessions. And I think that's the other nice thing. After the pandemic, we're all so used to Zoom and you know Teams and all, all the other video chat methods that it's going to feel, I think, very natural to do it this well, uh, this way. BetterHelp's committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy if needed. Um, you can read some testimonials on their website. Uh, there's over 2 million people who have taken charge. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash vision. Betterhelp, betterhelp.com forward slash vision. Join the over 2 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists everywhere right now. So, you know, they are making sure they have the people that can help you. Special offer for show listeners people listening to this very podcast right now, get 10% off your first month. 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash vision. That's betterhelp.com forward slash vision. Do it now. Take control. Get the help you need. There's nothing uh, better than 
taking care of your mind and, and feeling better about it. And better help can help. Now, once you've gotten yourself in the right mind uh, set, you can get your company filled out with the right talent. And you know who does that? It's indeed. I mean, if you don't have the right team on the pitch, well, sometimes if you're Arsenal, you can still win. But usually, if you're a business, you can't. So, if you're hiring, you need Indeed because you're the one hiring partner. What do they do? They let you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites trying to find the right candidates with the right skills, you need the one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. And Indeed's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Or guess what you don't do? You don't pay. Wish life worked like that everywhere. If I don't get exactly what I was expecting, I don't pay. You don't pay unless they do that. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply. So they're sitting there, they don't know what to apply to, and then this company comes on and says, you should apply to us. It's going to make them feel more invested in you, right? And then you pay if the applicants meet your must-have requirements. So according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all their job sites combined. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through April 30th. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to get your $75 sponsored job credit. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. Um, all right. It's time to give some flowers. Clive, let's give some flowers to the midfield. We'll get to El Nenny. Let's set him aside for a minute. Let's talk Granit Xhaka. Okay. Granit Xhaka has been potentially the man of the last two matches. He is a player who... You know, we don't have to rush to be revisionist. We don't have to rush to pretend we felt one way and now we feel another. It's very simple. Granite Shack is having a good season and it has been sensational the last two games when we absolutely needed a lift. And I think we were going to give the points away against United. I think that we had lost the confidence and control. I think they were roasting us on the edges. We were struggling to come to grips with it. There were borderline penalty calls. Everything started to feel like it was sliding away. And Granite Shack steps up. And Twats went in from 20 yards out and ends the game after Fernandez had, as I previously mentioned and shall mention again, hilariously missed his penalty. But even setting the goal aside, he has shown the right level of aggression, making it about the team and not himself, defending his teammates when they've come in for harsh treatment, for rough treatment. I think progressing the ball, stepping around players. I mean, this is a guy who nutmegged two players to start a counterattacking goal against Chelsea and then scores a goal from the edge of the box. He's doing absolutely everything, and he gets to blow kisses to the crowd. Granted, that was probably to family he had at the crowd, but good enough. It's um, it's a fairy tale moment for a player who hasn't always been a fairy tale player for Arsenal, but he deserves all the credit he is rightfully getting. No, absolutely. I mean, if you look at his Arsenal career, probably his time under Arteta has probably been pretty good. You know, pretty successful. You know, he was going to leave. He he then obviously stayed. Some people wanted him to go. <laughs> I think uh, we always naturally look round corners and we look at our team without him and we can see an improvement without always recognising what he's doing. Another stabilising factor, you know, I said at the start of the season that him and Party are probably our, most, our only world-class partnership. That was without knowing the other parties that would develop. Um, and I, I think they generally are our best partnership for age and experience. Um, so he made, you know, him deferring slightly to party made us cook for three months there. No problem at all. Um, now he's gone into another role. Obviously he went into left back role last season. I wish he'd have argued that point, but he didn't. <laughs> um, and now he's gone into, he's a guy that he just puts out the fires. And sometimes I, I said the word that he used to cause the fires. You know, he used to try to put out so many fires that his body couldn't deal with them, 
right? So now he's in a in a more structured system and he's doing what he he does. But one thing I would say is this team has been carried by the kids for a long time now. And we're getting to this crucial period and we were desperate for somebody to step up. You know, and then he stepped up, you know, Lacazette stepped up for a period until he ran out of energy. We needed something. We needed somebody, an adult in the room, to say, enough. We are here to deal with something here. And he did just that, right? Delivered. Delivered at the critical moment when it was all felt so tenuous. And it's the stuff I, I really, really look for. You know, and it, I, I think he's incredibly important. I think he's the most important player in the team right now. We said it the other week, didn't we? And I, 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 there was something, there was a, I don't know if you guys caught it. I'm sure you did. The Players' Tribune 10-minute um, video. And he spoke on that. And mm. he said some things there. It's, it's not very, when you see those things, I really do listen to them really carefully because you get a chance to see a player not on match day. We can only judge on match day. You get to see them. And he said something about, I, I don't want to leave this club until I do something special. And I thought then, he's locked in. He's locked into the goal, the targets, and he wants it. He doesn't want his Arsenal career to be defined by never qualifying for the Champions League. And and you can see that in him. He's just... Yeah, I've got to admit, I, I, players like that, characters like that, make a dressing room. At the football that I involved in the team that's won the league has got the most characters in the dressing room without a doubt i've sat with them they've got the most characters they all could almost coach themselves on the pitch you need people that can do things like that that can step in and do things and sometimes i think he's done things incorrectly which we all know about you know i think the brighton or crystal palace penalty i can't remember which team it was now but i'm still in my mind on some of the sendings off as Paul has always argued, they come from a slightly different place. They don't come from a bad place, they come from a place of caring. You know, and at this moment in time, he deserves everything because that was a huge goal. But you know, if we get to if we get to this fourth, I don't even want to talk about it, that's bordering on Vincent Company type levels goals. You know, the ones that really mm. count. Yeah. That I, I do think it could be that important if we get there. We'll look back at that moment and think that was the moment when it was shaky and someone stepped up and he deserves everything he gets. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think there would be a, a tremendous irony if his final act at Arsenal was to help us somehow crawl over the line to top four, get into the Champions League for the first time since he's been here, and then he somehow wound up leaving this summer and never played for Arsenal at the Champions League would be a irony, almost a poetic irony, you might say. Like I said... When a player goes through a purple patch or is having a good run or steps up in a key moment, there's sometimes a tendency to be like, now I need to revise everything I've thought about the player. When I think, actually, you can just really respect, appreciate, and admire what they're doing. I mean, Eddie and Ketty is another great example. I, I think a lot of us have a pretty good idea of who the player is and what level that player may play at for most of his career. We could be wrong about that, by the way. But it doesn't change the fact that he's been important to us right now and is showing the value of just having a striker who will run who will make hurtful runs, who will try to get in behind or be in the box, and that changes how a defense approaches you. So I think it's great. Paul, I certainly want to get your your sort of coda to, to Clive's thoughts on Chaka, but I also want to talk Elneny because Clive mentioned it earlier. This wasn't just Elneny not giving the ball away and being safe, and then we say good job and pat him on the back for a nice 6 out of 10. This was dropping a shoulder and stepping past someone. This was 
blocking off passing lanes. This was progressing the ball in the hurtful areas, taking a really good shot from outside the box that De Gea has to tip around the post. In a team that is so young and that looked like it was crumbling, you know, I mean, we talked about Saka stepping up and taking the penalty, but there's really two senior players in that team. It's El Nenny and Chaka, the player, the longest serving players at the club, and I think the oldest players in the team. And both of them were absolutely critical to the win. And and again, to my point about not needing to revise things, I don't think this means you give El Nenny a new contract. I just think it means you give him a firm handshake and and the credit he deserves for really stepping up at a crucial time. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, he must have been good because. They've written a little song from, which he hasn't had for a while. You to me are everything, my curly-haired Egyptian king, El Nanny, El Nanny. Wait, was good. that? Were they singing that? Uh, I don't know. Or did Somebody you just come up it. with it? No, oh, no, I didn't yeah, come up with oh, oh, it. I, I oh, found okay. it on the Twitters. I don't know if they've been singing it or not, but it's damn catchy. You to me are everything, my curly-haired. There's something about swimming backstroke that, in the Nile. Careful, that, that song is now property of Elon Musk. We don't want to <laughs> About that guy. <laughs> um, he's been great um, yeah. by being steady. Uh, like he's turned up field. He was very important in the it was the second goal, wasn't it? Um, uh, uh, maybe it was the first goal, second goal, second goal, second goal. I think uh, turns up field, does a little bit of a dribble, pulls them towards him. Their midfield squirts it through to Odegaard, who turns it up to uh, Saka, who cuts infield and uh, him and Odegaard conspire to for, to get a penalty first. But it kind of starts with, uh, this was one of the ones Clive and I were talking about. There's a little wall pack, pass from, Ch- we we drop back, it's La Pausa, but the, the drop back edition of La Pausa where uh, they're blocking you upfield. So you play it back. We play back to Ramsey, who plays it back to Chaka, Chaka, pops it up to Smithrow, who's dropped into a pocket, wall passes it to Elneny, who looks to go back to the same side, can't, so he looks the other side, does a little dribble, squirts it through to Odegaard, up to Saka. That's where we get our goal from, playing out from the back. Um, And, you know, opening up those spaces for us, and that's kind of where most of our good play came from, stretching them out and then, you know, counterattacking them. This was another great counterattacking goal, from Arsenal. We've had a bunch of them recently. We've become a very, very good counter-attacking team. We may have lost a little bit of our polish in playing out from the keeper when under pressure, but if we're not under extreme pressure, we're very good at playing it through the lines quickly. Um, And we did it quite a few times in this game. There were other opportunities. Elneny was good. He was good looking both ways up the pitch. He's actually taken over that hub spot, the part he had that he left in his will to Sambi, um, that uh, El Nenny has now stolen from him. And, you know, back to the Chaka point, w- people have heard me talking enough about Chaka, but the one thing I will say is that uh, fair play to him. He's, he's happy to do all those other roles while a player who's either better suited to or less well suited to the jobs that he needs to do takes that central hub and does the distribution job. And like him and mm. El Nenny work, they know each other, they've known each other for a while, their distances, it's a little conservative, especially from the El Nenny side, um, though less so in this game. I actually think in some of his best moments is because United cut off the safer option, so he went more aggressive because it was open and he went for it. And 
I'd like to see him keep that going. Uh, if he keeps getting the starts, uh, you know, don't be safe. Uh, I think when when uh, Lucas Torreira was with us, he started off quite aggressive and progressive in his play, and then as time went on, became a safer and safer player. But he had it in his locker to be to be more aggressive, more upfield in his passing. And I just hope that uh, El Nenny keeps that streak. He's had two games in a row where he's been progressive, uh, mm. been brave on the ball, and we need some of that from him. And he was in this, and it made it makes a huge difference. You know, he shovels it to Chaka for his thunder bastard. Uh, goal, which is actually an homage to Arteta. If you remember back, was it 2013, the Man City game where uh, Arteta wins that game as Chaka kind of polished off this game with a a blast from same kind of difference, distance, same side of the goal. Um, uh, uh, They must have had a good laugh about that one afterwards. And Mm. uh, against another Manchester team, you know, th- those two guys are midfield, uh, solid, steady. And like Chak had a lot to do with the first goal. He pops in yeah. two crosses as well. So uh, in that more advanced he was role. Yeah, yeah. So they found a nice balance between the two of them. And I hope they can keep it going. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think it's pretty clear, at least in my mind, that this midfield double pivot sort of has to has to stay together now for the balance of the season. I mean, Clive, just quickly on the El Nani contract thing, like to be fair, Teams that are developing a young core need some stable senior leadership, need players that can come off the bench that have that experience. You know, there's going to be Europe next season of whatever variety, and so you're going to need a slightly bigger squad of players that are, you know, players you feel comfortable calling on. I mean, Liverpool still have James Milner. I don't think there's anything wrong with having good, you know, in American sport, they call them glue glue guys, Mm -hmm. guys that are well-liked in the dressing room, guys that you can put on the, you know, on the pitch that aren't necessarily the most talented, but they do the job. They hold things together. They, you know, you can kind of depend on the level you're going to get from them. You know, it would almost be better if he had sort of like one year left on his contract and can just play it out. But there is a discussion about a new contract. And where I am sympathetic to it is, do we want to be in a position where we have to go out and buy another midfielder to deepen that, you know, a cheap backup kind of midfielder? Because it's clear that Sambi is, is a work in progress. You're going to have Thomas Party and Shaka again. The numbers still look a little light to me in midfield, and certainly if El Nenny goes, you need to go get somebody. And now you're like, well, do we buy a 28-year-old midfielder to be depth and back up a 29? You know, that's hard to do. Do we buy another sort of 23-year-old midfielder who maybe isn't ready to really contribute right away? El Nenny ticks a lot of boxes of what you need in a squad player. So I definitely understand the debate, and I don't think it's going to cost you a lot to keep him around, and he's certainly someone who's going to keep the right attitude and the right commitment and the right... Uh, message in the, in the dressing room. So how do you think about, you know, from a squad building standpoint, keeping someone like El Nini around a little longer? Yeah, this is what, this is what Arsenal people do. We win a couple of games, we start handing out one-year contracts <laughs> to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, I can't say that on Saturday, when it, as he was walking around the pitch towards the end, high-fiving anybody, I was prepared to give him a contract too, right? So For 10 years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is where karma heads have to be there. But, but joking aside, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, in squad rotation and depth and having the right quality of depth. Uh, I think we've overplayed certain players and underplayed others. And then he probably falls into that category. He had a very good <clears throat> African Nations. 
and he's he's also developing as a player. He's looking around. He's saying, you know what? I want, I need to do things different to get into this team. And sort of people, I, you know, substitute players or squad players. They're not just watching for fun. They're looking at what they need to do to get into the team. So they, they naturally develop by watching. And he's obviously done that and recognised the way he used to play will not work for his team anymore. Right? Will I give him a contract? I'm not sure. I think Zambi again. This these two players are what we need right now because it's a traumatic time in the season. Earlier in the season, Sambi was fantastic. Everything mattered, but it doesn't matter like right now. We need a little bit more. And given the fact that Abamyang was not there and Lacazette's not there, we need some adults in the room and we've got a couple here. And I think this is a timing issue. And it's it's good that we've got it. We've got that option. Do you give him Go ahead, mate. Do you think Sambi was maybe a little unlucky in that when he got his game... He was asked to play in a single pivot similar to party, which is such a huge ask and didn't get the comfort of, of a Shaka partnership sort of in the same way on any as Yeah, has been absolutely. Given. Very unlucky. I, you know, the last time I only get mad once or twice a season, but I felt <laughs> it was wrong what we did to him. We gave him two tens to play with. And even party, when he plays and does, is doing brilliant, he's playing with Shaka. He's not playing on his own, is he? He's playing with Shaka, you know, and that's important. You need that second adult and he didn't have it. Because we made the wrong decision, but I don't want to go over that again because I'm I'm getting over it, right? So, um, <laughs> <clears throat> so he was very unfortunate, and I guess people have rushed conclusions. Sammy's a very good player when he when he came on at Palace, I believe, uh, when party went off. I thought he done excellent, you yeah. know, and and that's mm-hmm. just forgotten, right? So, but right now we're doing something unique, right? And if Sammy's got to sit for a few games, that's absolutely fine. But don't forget him; he's going to be better next season. This is his first year. He will come again. I'm not sure what to do, to be honest, Elliot. I'm not sure what to do. I think I, everyone's talking about Tielemans. There's a, there's a young Brazilian player called Danilo, who's young, left-footed player. Do we develop? Do we go for one young, one older, and bring him into the group? Do we have to lose one? Is that nearly unfortunate, or is it meant that Niles going to door? I'm not sure what to do. But, you know, if only stayed, I wouldn't cry myself to sleep over it. You know, yeah. but I do want to see one more come in that can lift our level. And if and if there's a block there, I don't think this is quite enough to get us where we want to get to. You look at that league table; the top two are twenty odd points ahead of us. If you're serious about your job and serious about football, that's a gap we have to close, right? And I'm not sure. To be fair, you do that. I think part of the way you close that gap is by crossing your fingers that they come back to the pack a little bit, that this is not a sustainable pace that those clubs have been on because yeah. they are just tearing up the league the last few seasons. Well, so unfortunately, they're quite smart as well, aren't they? I mean, look at the yeah, players they're bringing in, potentially. Even though Liverpool are bringing a group of young players to underpin the team they have now, so they're going to be cooking these young players like Carvalho. I think and, Erling Holland might make City better. I don't, I don't, know. Yeah, I don't know about that There's guy. a group of young players <laughs> Liverpool are, are, are doing – under the, under the covers, they're doing something behind their first group, and the first group are a bunch of Formula One motors, right? So this is this is tough. And then you look at us and you say, "Oh, we can give Eddie another year and give O'Neill another year." And I do appreciate those players, I really do. But then we have to say, "Where do you want to go?" You know, and this is the question for maybe one of our squad building pods. But where do you want to go? How do you want to get there? And, I, and I'm generally not sure which way to go, mate. But there's a gap well, to close, and we've got to try and close it. We'll come back to this game, but you, you've raised the topic since it's on everybody's mind. 
technically, if, if Gabriel Jesus is coming to Arsenal, technically we scored seven goals at the weekend. Um, <laughs> j- just the four for Jesus. It's funny, right? I, I, I'm such a bad follow on Twitter, which is why you have to block me. And I get so much wrong and say so much dumb. But like, I spent the day before the City game saying why I thought Jesus could be a good signing and people being like, he doesn't finish enough of his chances, he doesn't get enough goals in that team. And like, I was like, I don't know, finishing is one of those things that like, do you get it while he's running by him while he's running cold and then you get lucky and like now he's going full Joe Willock on his price tag with, with four goals and an assist in one game. But Clive, I mean, would you? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I have a, I have a theory on forwards for next year. Uh, I might as well, I've done it on Twitter, so I might as well share it. I think we should go for a centre forward that can play right wing and a centre forward that can play left wing. That's the first thing you do. That leaves room for Martelli rotation. It leaves room for Balogun to come back. I think we need to make sure that we can sit Saka down before we, before we rub his legs away completely. And so someone like Jesus, who spent a lot of time on right wing, can really work for us. And uh, another set of forwards, like, I, I'm going to say Nunes for an example, just don't kill me, who plays on the left and plays centre forward. That's the sort of thing we need to do. Have a, have a smaller squad, but players that are flex, flexible and versatile, that can cover multiple roles, the right size, speed and physicality in one of the players, and the right flexibility, force nine ability, finishing ability of Jesus in the other player. That's what I would do, and um, and then save some brass for uh, Sailor Midfield. Yeah, it's funny, right? Like, And this goes back to the age thing, too. My initial reaction, Gabriel Jesus, I'm like, oh, that guy's been around forever. He just turned 25. Like, he's four months older than Ainsley Maitland-Niles. He is not, he's not an old dude. And, like, it wouldn't hurt to get a player who's going to be reasonably priced, who's got a lot of Premier League experience at the very elite part of the table, who is just coming into his prime. And like, Paul, I get, I get like, you know, there are people who say, oh, he's played in Manchester City and, you know, he, he doesn't score enough goals. But my argument is, if Pep Guardiola thought you were good enough to get the number of starts he's given that guy at 22, 23, 24 years old, all right, maybe he's run a little cold on finishing in some of those years. He's also had a couple of seasons where he was like almost a, an expected goal per 90 guy. Like, I, I just think... These are the kind of moves, you know, it feels very Liverpool-y, right? Like Sadio Mane, Diogo Jota, these players whose underlying metrics look good, who have experience in the league, who maybe aren't properly valued for one reason or another, and you go get them entering their prime, and they go supernova, and you win things. You see, you hit the comparison there that comes to mind when I think of Gabriel Jesus. Probably nobody will agree with this, but uh, I love a Diogo Jota kind of attacker. And I think yeah. Gabriel Jesus is probably, there'll be people listening to this saying, yeah, but he doesn't have the same finishing. But like, I'm fine. You get a lot of chances. It's the Tammy Abraham discussion, right? Are you getting enough chances and you're taking your share? I bet he's right around his XG easily. Um, his last couple of seasons, he's been under it. But before that, he was killing it. So, you know, yeah. it comes and so, goes. And this season, yeah. he may have made up for it all just in the last game. Yeah, nice one. Um, so I think he's... I think he's absolutely perfect for one of the two kinds of of uh, forwards we need. Um, and with the kind of flexibility, plus, like, he knows the playbook, right? Him and Arteta uh, had y- several years together there. Only Arteta left with playbook version 13.4, and uh, Gabriel Jesus can bring along playbook 16.7, the latest version. Like, they're going to be totally <laughs> on the same page. Yeah, yeah, from day one, he's from this league. He know, you know, he knows exactly what it is we want to do. He can play right wing, central, 
Um, so like he's a, a no brainer. The only question is, uh, as Clive says, who would the other striker be? Like, I'd like somebody with some vertical, some verticality, some height. Now, I think Jesus. Yeah, he's like, got to be one of two, right? He, yeah. he can't be one of one. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Diego or um, Tammy Abram. Like, I like that profile because it gives you that other kind of option. I want somebody with a bit of height, though. I do think, like Jota, uh, Jesus is actually really good at his positioning, getting in and getting those headers. At least I haven't. Like I haven't super studied him along the way and thought about him as an Arsenal player, but like I seem to remember him getting into really good positions in the box, getting his head on the ball. It's not always about being six foot four, uh, been whatever he is, best part of six foot and mobile and clever on your positioning and getting into the right pockets. Like we had a couple of probably steal Calvert Lewin if Everton go down. I mean, he's not my favorite. I want to be clear about that. But if you want some, you know, someone with height, you know. And, yeah, and well, I, I think presence. I think DCL's a talented boy. Uh, my, my only concern about him is staying fit. But hey, if we have two of them, then they'll both be injured at the wrong time. But no, they <laughs> hopefully they can fill. <laughs> no, in they'll be fine. Them. Everyone else will be injured. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be the irony. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I look. I, I think we'll have plenty of time to go into transfers because there are other striker options that that excite me. And I just think that Jesus Gabriel Jesus looks like a, a fit. Um, the, the there, only there thing about some- transfer rumors is these days when we get a transfer rumor and it's a good one, it happens. Like, he's happening. He's coming. <laughs> so now- there, there was there was someone, and I, I won't be able to find it, so I apologize for not crediting them, that, but mentioned that we could go fully biblical on the Premier League and get yeah, yeah. Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, and Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. Just go full, full Bible on the Premier League. Um, Clive, a couple of things before we, we get out of here. One is just the form that um, Aaron Ramsdale is in. And like, the center backs look a little shaky. Well, let's be fair. Gabriel looks a little shaky. He's got Nuno Tavares to the next one. <laughs> that could make anyone feel shaky. And you've got Cedric on the other side. And just the whole thing feels shaky back there right now. And some of that is Ramsdale. And like, to be fair, he makes a really good near post save to, to knock one off his post. So that's great. But I, you know, I, he sort of fakes like he's going to come for the cross that Ronaldo turns in. And, and he, he obviously has the pass to McTominay that, that, um, Fernandez would have scored if if uh, Gabriel, to be fair to him, doesn't get across and makes the block. Like I don't think he's been bad, but he certainly looks jittery. And yeah. you know he's let a couple in at the near post. There's there's been a few moments, and like Leno did come in and have one game where he looked great. Now I'm not about to say drop Ramsdale for Leno, even though I think there may be some people that say that's a fair conversation to have. What I'd rather do is just say where are you with Ramsdale's form right now in terms of having any concerns? Yeah. So I've been concerned a little for a while, actually. Um, mm. I was at Liverpool game and he let a couple in there that I thought he could do better on. Then he got injured, wasn't it? it was, whether it was in that game or the issues before that game, but he then missed the, the Villa game, missed the international break. And he got himself back, I think for the very first game, which I think was Palace, right? Where we got ambushed. And he's, I felt he was, he's been, he's struggling for a while. I've had this debate in my house, <laughs> uh, like we do. <laughs> um, had this debate in my house, and I've been sort of looking at him and thinking, you're not quite there. Funny enough, I saw the rebirth of him at the weekend. I saw somebody that I thought, even maybe even from the Southampton game, that was starting to come for crosses again and, and starting to be brave again. 
And I like that. And even starting to be chippy again and giving it to people. That tells me that he's on his way back. And the save at the near post was major. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely major, major top class save. And that was a moment and Adelo who had two shots in that game that nearly nearly did us. And when people are assessing games, what people do, I I get annoyed. We we look at the last things that happened, but I, I was, again, I was talking to Andrew and I was saying, we've got to get Smith Rowe off, we've got to get him off. He's tired, he's done. If Dallow was running in then, the first thing that within seconds Smith Rowe got substituted, because that was the overload, we couldn't get back in and and Ramsdale bails us out, right? It bails us out from for keeping that substitution too long. Martin yeah. he should be on much sooner, fresher legs, more pace both ways. So we got away with it. And Ramsdale got us got us away with that right so on the Ronaldo goal could I just say one thing I thought it's a brilliant goal from Ronaldo yeah absolutely brilliant the way he moved across the area and found himself on different people absolutely brilliant and it, I thought Ramsdale thought I, I could get this and he found himself in a, in a bad spot I want him to keep doing what what he feels he's instinctive he, he's very agile he's very quick he's very front footed very fast footed just keep doing it. Don't disappear into yourself. Don't disappear onto your back foot. Um, just keep doing it. And I think we're starting to see him refine his confidence again. You know, and I, I've you seen that Martin last couple Keown of weeks. After the penalty miss. Yeah, I've seen that last couple of weeks. And it's just things I've been looking at. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be contrary here. I think he's been worse than he was at the weekend. And what we look at is the bad pass because it's, it's impossible to miss. But I'm looking at his body language, looking at his saves. I'm looking at how he's talking, how he's moving, how he's reacting to an error maybe. Is he coming for crosses? And I'm seeing the rebirth of him, and I'm pretty confident that he's going to be a – like all these kids, <laughs> hopefully get get us to the promised land. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, it was look, it was good enough that day. And I, I, I think – I don't care that this was a weakened Chelsea and a United in, in chaos – it's still Chelsea and United. The pressure is still there. The season looked like it was circling the drain. And we go out and we turn it all around. Spurs have dropped five points from their last six. We've taken six from six unexpectedly, I think you'd say, based on what, what had happened. And now it is back in our hands. And it's interesting because next weekend, Tottenham play Leicester, wrapped around Leicester's two legs of a European semifinal. And we play West Ham, in the exact same situation. And, you know, these are must-win games. Obviously, they all are. But, like, both Spurs and Arsenal will face similar scenarios against teams that have no reason to take the game seriously at all and will almost certainly put out weakened teams. And that can almost be a difficult position when the game is just there for you, you know, dangling like like a just a, a, a apple on the tree. You just have to... Pull it off, and and so it'll be interesting to see how the teams cope with that pressure. But then th- that that crucial game because Spurs will have Liverpool away the next weekend, and I believe we have Leeds. So it, it does get really interesting now. And I, I, Paul, just as a final thought, like I think Mikel Arteta has to really, really, really think long and hard about what is sustainable and what is not sustainable from these last two games because he looks like he has Tomiyasu back now, he has Lacazette back now. He may be getting party back, to be fair, who's been on the treadmill, but that's another story. I think he has to, you know, Smith Rowe, I thought was a little quiet in the United game. A great player, love him, but faded a little bit. 
There's a temptation when you're, you've won two consecutive games against big clubs to just run it back. I think he does have to bring some players in, and I'm curious you know, if you agree with that, that he can't just rest on his laurels and say, I beat Chelsea, I beat United, that's my team, I'm putting them out there again. You know, does he have to change it? And I would certainly think the obvious one is bringing in Tomiyasu, but maybe a little less obvious would be, does that mean you change left back also? Do you change your left winger? What do you think about that? So I get the sense that Arteta has a really good map of where we're at and what's going on. And I think we, the supporters are maybe reading too much into what goes on in, say, this two games versus the three before it. Like, these two games we just played are kind of one-offs. Um, I two, think we, Two-offs. <laughs> yeah, two one-offs. One two-off. <laughs> um, like, like, this is not our roadmap for how we wanted to play. It was what these two games demanded. They needed energy. They didn't need control. I think we're going to see a little more control in the next few games. Um, but but what we won't see is what happened against Crystal Palace and Brighton in partic- particular, where, you know, this squad and the manager has learned a lesson there. He knew, but they didn't react. We need more energy. We need to be braver. We need to go for it. We need to get our wins. And so um, I, I, I think we'll see those three games, the two against... Uh, Chelsea United and and we'll look back and we'll see different sections to this run in that'll be completely different and you can't take the lessons of that onto the next bit it's game by game it's not quite each one of these is a cup final it'll be different the the mood of the next few games totally different and then you have the the North London Derby I just I think it's game by game selection by selection um he can't really take what we did against United and parlay that into what's going to happen against West Ham. Totally different game. Away from home, so there's a different energy. But our away fans have been great. But he'd be looking to start fast. I much prefer our... I think this... You talked about the Europa League uh, impact of the two opponents we're playing. I think it kind of suits us in both legs. Leicester City are more likely to be conservative than City in, and Spurs won't like that. They like a team who comes at them so they can counter. And I like a tired West Ham who have their minds elsewhere when we're kind of more of a high-energy team these days. I think that's the piece we will take forward. Maybe not the chaos, Mm. but the energy. In terms of the choices... Um, it's probably going to be hard for him to move away from El Neni right now, El Neni Chaka. But on the Ramsdale and our defensive side, that'll have to tidy up a little bit. But I think a lot of that gets addressed if Tommy Yasu's ready. You know, Ramsdale's had, apart from the fact that we've gone, taken the chaos route and the playing out from the backside of things, and he's stayed brave even when he's made mistakes, like in this United game. The first thing he did after he pinged it to who was it? Uh, Bruno Fernandez or. Whatever it's in midfield. McTominay, yeah. McTominay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He is he goes aggressive straight after that. So like we're not backing off in terms of courage. Agreed. Um but if he has Tommy Asso coming in on the right, like that's a lot. Cedric and 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 uh, Nuno on the on the other at the other fullback spot. He'd much prefer to have Tommy Asso there and settle one of those sides. Uh you know, even the El Neni thing is new for him playing out from there and um, 
there's he's had three different hubs that he's to hit in midfield. Not not that this is the reason for everything that's been a little dodgy recently, but there's been a lot of change in front of him and different ways of playing. So yeah. hopefully we settle it down with Tommy Yasu, our two centre backs uh, playing more conventionally and uh, a little more familiarity and a settled midfield with Chak and El Nenny, and we'll see a little bit more control. Um, but but we'll keep the energy part that we've rediscovered yeah. in the last maybe three games. Southampton, uh, Chelsea and United were all much more front-footed games than what went before. I definitely think Tomiyasu back is a, is a game-changer, yeah. um, literally and figuratively. So we'll hope he's back, and I, I think it allows him to actually keep picking Nuno and Gabriel shifts, you know, slides just slightly left, and and you can get more balance to the attacking flanks too, which is great. Let's get out of here, but Clive, as I say goodbye to you, I, I just say this. There's something happening between the fans and, and this club, and even though it hasn't been a straight linear progression of this season, getting better and better and better, even through the down moments, it doesn't feel like the support has abandoned the manager or these players. It, it, gosh, it, it, my, my friend Ian was at this game, and like, you just want to be at the Emirates right now. It just feels really special, or at, or at any Arsenal game for that matter. It looks like they're having a lot of fun. Credit to you know some of the supporters at these games that have, have really let you hear their support from the manager and the players. But like, there's there's something special happening. I hope they get the reward they deserve and we all deserve for it. But after years of a very polarized fan base that sort of just felt like it, it had it had turned pretty stale and pretty angry. It feels like Arsenal are back, at least in terms of the relationship between the supporters and the club. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Uh, I should have been sitting at the end. I made a huge mistake there. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> I think, um, hey, look, there's one line that stood out to me recently. Good things happen to good people. And I'm just hopeful that if you keep doing things the right way, you're going to get the right reward, right? So let's just keep focusing on this one game at a time. And um, I think the fans really know their role. That's basically it. They know they know we're wobbling. They know why we're wobbling. They know the ages. They know the experience. They know this is the first time for me these players. And they're thinking, we need to help this lot over the line. Yeah, and, and that's what we're seeing. And um, I expect that to continue looking online. There are no tickets available for anything, anywhere, home and away. Good luck with that. It is all on. It is all on. And it's going to be a fantastic few weeks, hopefully, if it all works out. So, so, so excited. Like, this is a time when you make yourself a hero. And look at the last two games. Eddie and Kedia and Granite Shaka make themselves heroes. Like, there is so much time left in this season for the story to change again and again. But I'm excited to see who makes themselves a hero uh, next game out. I have really bad news. I believe we're going to do a Gabriel Jesus scouting video for patrons. So that transfer is dead completely dead but there's still other players out there we can find we'll cover all that uh transfer news look ahead to the west ham game some of the champions league stuff that happens midweek and all that on our regular pod this thursday we will have that aforementioned gabriel jesus scouting video that i apologize for and uh a lot more I'm to come confident to back that the even one. even you guys can't jinx that jinx that gabriel jesus thing it's gonna happen Challenge accepted. Um, hey, look, I, I say it all the time, but I really cannot emphasize how much we just love having you here and, and really appreciate you and like the work you did to help us hit the goals for the for the fundraiser and you know, just sticking with us through thick and thin. You know, I read the reviews and I know there's some of you that find me a little difficult and I totally get it. Grating, um, annoying. Grating, annoying, yeah. talks too fast. Shrill. Dominates Shrill. the pod. 
doesn't know how to ask a question. Yeah. It, it goes on, you know, obsessed with shaving his privates. But like, it it just means the world to me. It means the world to me that you guys are here and, and tolerate me to, to get the good stuff from Paul and Clive and Tim and, and Scott and all that. And so thank you again. And if you do leave a review, just grab a screenshot of it. We'll, uh, we'll give away a couple free years of, of Patreon uh, over the next two weeks. So thank you for that. Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC has hit the 50,000 follower mark and was very gracious and thankful for that. But keep him on his toes. We can always unfollow if we need to. Thanks, Clive. <laughs> Thank you very much. And don't be so self-deprecating. You are the glue of the podcast. Remember, I'm that. the glue guy. Not very good at what I do, but somehow keep it all together. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. My name is Elliot Smith. As always, make sure you block me on Twitter. You know, pretty soon... Uh, you know, you may not want to be, be on there at all. Who knows? Everything's changing. It's all changed at Arsenal. I'll change at Twitter. We'll see what happens over there. Maybe we'll become a TikTok podcast. But in any event, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. West Ham now. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.